So let's start in 2 Timothy. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And in the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier for Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by completing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight in all this. And remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descendant from David. This is my gospel. Paul's writing to Timothy here. He's in prison. One of the last letters he's going to get to him, and that's what he writes to him. It has a message for us here today. Now, from the beginning of human history, Satan has opposed God's word, his holy word. And he, he started off with, did God actually say, you shall not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, or you should not touch it lest you die, or will die, depending on your translation. Those were first, Satan's first words to mankind. And he continues to ask that question all this time. Throughout the history of the church, the word of God has been attacked, often by people writing in, from within the church. Yet it still stands today. Why? Because dedicated men and women have guarded the deposit, God's holy word, and faithfully handed it down to the next generation. When a church or any other Christian ministry or organization goes with the world's teaching instead of God's, it usually starts with a weakening of the leader's convictions on the word of God. It starts off with the change here and a change there. And before you know it, they're following the ways of the world instead of God. Some of you have seen that. You've seen it happen in places you've been at, right? It does. Throughout the centuries, God's work has been done by men and women who stood steadfast in their hours of trial. It would have been convenient for them to have compromised. But they stood firm. They stood their ground. In these difficult days and the ones coming, it is important that we stand true to Christ and be willing to suffer for him and not be ashamed. Now, we may not have to go to prison like the Apostle Paul was at the time of writing in 2 Timothy, but we will suffer in other ways. People have lost jobs because they followed Christ. They've lost customers. They've lost friends. They've even lost family. And they've been snubbed by many a people. They, that happens in today's world. 
It's also important that we stand by God's servants who are suffering for the righteous righteousness. When someone's going through a tough time, we've got to stand beside them. Now, most of you know I love history. So I'll, I'll give you a history illustration. General George Patton of World War II fame was a student of history, especially of warfare. And during the battles of North Africa, Patton's troops and tanks were engaged in a series of attacks and counterattacks against the German panzers. It was the panzer division under the command of General Erwin Rommel. Generally considered, generally considered the greatest battlefield commander ever. Patton's forces did not fall for one of Rommel's traps and in fact successfully counterattacked and defeated the Germans. Patton was watching the mountains from the hill and at the moment he saw the battle had turned he actually stood on the fender of his car and cried out, Rommel, I read your book. And he had. He knew what he was going to do because he read his book. He was referring to Rommel's book on warfare. And Platten had learned the Rommel strategy from reading his book. And he had planned his moves according to and defeated him because he followed the plans in the book he wrote. Now, had any of you ever seen the movie Patton with yeah, that's, you've seen him stand on the fender. That's what he did. Satan has written no books. But God has exposed the enemy's schemes in order that Satan might not outwit us. I do so with Christ's authority so that Satan will not outsmart us. For we are familiar with the evil schemes. Now those words are found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. That's why you have the scriptures. For all to read to this day, so we know what's coming. We are at war with Satan. But too often churches ignore the conflict to avoid doing what has to be done to tear down the gates of hell. What can we do to avoid being AWOL in this great battle for souls of the lost? Now, the ministry of the gospel is no place for a timid soul who lacks enthusiasm. Sorry, it just isn't. In fact, courage and enthusiasm is essential for success. It is the Holy Spirit that enables us to serve God. Through him, we can overcome fear and weakness. When I was in Israel with um, Christians United for Israel, I visited a place 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee called Caesarea Philippi. This is a picture of what it looked like at the time of Jesus. And now, that area lies in the shadow of Mount Hermon. Which, whose ice caps, when they melt, give clean, clear, fresh spring water from the Jordan River. It, it waters everywhere. The abundant water supply in this area, it makes everything fertile and attractive. And as a Roman resort, it was also a place for worship. The whole area is just gorgeous. And while I, and while I was there, in 
Caesarea Philippi, I got a chance to see the gates of hell. That is that cave right up there. That's the gates of hell. The gates of hell is what the Romans called it. The Jewish historian Josephus described it as a deep cavern filled with water, the bottom which no one has ever reached. And thus, because it seemed bottomless, the Romans believed it was the gate to the underworld. I mean, it's one of those bottomless wells in the middle of the desert. They could never find the bottom. Now, nowadays we have, but when the Roman times, they couldn't. In the days of Jesus, it was called the Grotto of Pan. It was dedicated to Pan, the pagan god, among other things, of fertility. And as a result, because of Pan, it was god of fertility. The worship there and do sacrifices to Pan, and along with drinking and sex, and it was just a terrible place. It was not a place that a good godly Jew would ever hang out. They didn't go there. They would not even be seen there. But Jesus took his disciples there. Jesus took them on a 70-mile trek from Nazareth to Caesarea Philippi. Now, that was about a three-day journey on a hike one way. And the only thing they visited while they were there, according to the Bible, was the gates of hell, that cave. It was there that Peter made the good confession where he declared, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus, and then Jesus told Peter, now that's, we're talking about Peter's confession of who Jesus was, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus was essentially telling his disciples, I've come to conquer hell. I've come to rip the gates off Satan's kingdom. And I want you to know this because it's my church that's gonna get this done. Jesus was gonna build his church, that's us along with other believers, and the gates of hell would not be able to stand against us. That is why we exist. To defeat Satan and his attack and attack his kingdom. So, you might ask, how are we going to conquer hell? Well, that's what Paul was telling Timothy about. Timothy, you've got a job to do. But the only way you can do that job is to be strengthened by the grace that is Christ Jesus. Now you can read those words for yourself in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. So in other words, you don't have to do this by yourself. And as a church... We don't have to do this by ourselves. Jesus is our source of strength. Or as the Philippians chapter 4, 19 tells us, God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory, Christ Jesus. We don't have to conquer hell by our own strength. 
by your own wisdom, by your own cleverness. We're only going to get to do it by the grace of Christ, grace, the grace of Jesus. Now, Reverend Warren Wearsby, I love quoting him. He's a pastor of the Moody Bible Church in Chicago, the Bible Answer Man, and back to Bible radio show. I, I, have, I, have, I actually have every book that he has. It's either online or that. He's a great, great guy. And, and he's most famous for his BE series. And a lot of congregations, a lot of churches have mistake impressions. But let's share something here. He noted that the early church started with about 120 people. And by the end of the first century, it is believed there were fewer than 10,000. And by the year 200, they'd climbed to about 200,000. And by 250 AD, there was a million people who were Christians. By the year 300, Christian numbers were over 6 million. And in the fourth century, approximately 35 million Christians were in the ancient world. If you do the math, you will find that Christianity grew at about a 40% per decade per 100 years. The, now that, I, some of you, I just lost some of you, so bear with me. It grew about 40% per decade. Just remember that. The question is, not only how did they survive, but how did they thrive? Did you know in the beginning Christianity was considered a depraved religion by many good folks? It was illegal. And at least two persecutions were empire-wide and intent on destroying the church. The earliest Christians didn't have buildings. They didn't have access to mass media. They had very little money and absolutely no political influence. They didn't even have a Twitter account. Okay? So how did they thrive? They thrived because they depended upon the grace of Christ, the grace, the grace of Jesus. And they took their faith seriously. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrusted to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Those words of Paul, 2 Timothy 2.2. We read them earlier. A lot of congregations, a lot of churches have the mistaken impression that they can hire all the work done in today's modern world. Someone needs to visit, well, we'll pay a preacher to go visit people in the hospital. Someone needs to teach their kids, well, we'll hire a youth minister, and so on and so on. But that's really not how this congregation thinks, because we do stuff here. There are folks who run the sound booth. There are folks who run the music ministry. There's the Wednesday night potluck. There's the church sign, the children's youth ministry, the Bible. The only day something is not going on in this church is on Monday. And that's because I keep that for repair day. And, and then nobody's asked for Monday yet, right? And if they ask for Monday, I'll say yes. But you gotta have some day to repair things. But here's the key. Paul reminds Timothy, don't do this alone. What you've heard from me 
in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy 2.2. Now history records that Timothy was an excellent preacher. Although some people like to put him down. Most people, he was a pretty good preacher and able to inspire audiences and set a tone for the church and handle all the work of the church. But Paul's telling him, don't try to do this by yourself. Get others to step up. Entrust others to teach as well. Everything we should do, everything we do should be to entrust others to do ministry. That's why we have board members and youth and children's teachers and we open our doors to the community. There's something going on all the time. God has set up this system so the church isn't run simply by a preacher. Everybody's involved. You're going to laugh. We've had things happen and I don't even know what's happening. It just happens. It's good. That's what it's supposed to be. And now I'll give you an example during communion. A lot of times churches will only let ministers or board members do the communion service. The problem with that approach is the board members really have a job. They've got to go around and say hi to you and talk to you and do all that kind. So we're blessed with a whole bunch of kids. And they really want to be a part of communion. And I cannot put any more trays up there to keep them all happy. I'm limited to so only so many kids up here. But they want, to, they want to be part of communion. And then they want to shake your hands after church service. Now, we had never told them in the past. We'd never told them to do it. Never showed them what to do. They just started doing it one day. And guess what? There's a whole little line. Now, today I did tell them I was going to bring it up in the sermon. So they finally were told that I'm putting it in the sermon. But how many times you walked out, there's a whole line of kids you got to shake the hands. They just did it. And they have fun. See, they, because they look in this building as theirs. When there's something broken, they have to go, Pastor, Pastor, it's broken. Okay, I'll fix it. I wonder who broke it. <laughs> I'll fix it. Don't worry. Okay, Pastor. Guess what? If you want to, you got to fix things. That's part of life. Now, the question for you today is, do you have a ministry here at Cornerstone? Do you have a ministry outside of Cornerstone? Paul writes something intriguing in 2 Timothy um, 4 and 5 that we read to you earlier. Share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Being is charged... No, oh, how am I going to word this? Okay, I'll just word it. Being in charge of the windows and the ice on the entrance of the ramp is just as important as being a Sunday school teacher or taking responsibility for the nursery room to make sure there's no broken toys in it is just as important as doing the coffee bar. Taking charge of the fire security lights, right? And the, it's just as important as stuff in the bulletins. There's no one job more important than the other. And all these little things got to get done. So a few years back, I stumbled on this fact. It's, it regards World War II, so you get another World War II picture. Roughly 16 million Americans served during World War II. 
And a lot of, that's a lot of men and women. 16 million soldiers, and they didn't win the war by themselves. Each frontline soldier needed a support team or support people of 18 people to, to, to meet their needs each day. That was one soldier needed 18 support people to supply him with 96 bullets, six pounds of food, and up to 20 pounds of water every day. That amounted to basically one ton of material, food, water, each month for every soldier. For every soldier who had advanced, he needed a team of 18 to support him, from clerks to cooks to mechanics to medics, to meet his needs. Does that make sense? That one man up front took 18 people to get there. To keep him up there took 18 people. And that's not counting, that's not counting the factory workers back in the States. Those, four, those folks who worked three shifts a week a day, 24 hours a day to keep the war plants going. And during the war, they did seven days a week. The labor force expanded by 18.7 million people. Thanks in part to some six million women who abandoned their homemaking rules and flocked to the plants to produce the things for the war. The planes, the ammunition, the weapons. They, they learned how to do it all. My point is, if you're a soldier for Christ, what are you doing to advance the kingdom? Are you contributing to the cause or tearing down the, of tearing down the gates of hell? Are you a soldier on the front lines? Or are you part of the support group? The support troops, actually. I should word it that way. Are you devoting a significant portion of your life to making the church able to contend against Satan? Or are you AWOL? Now, you guys are sitting in the pews, so you're all here. But there's people going to watch us on the internet that are AWOL right now. And we'll just tell them they're AWOL. You know? Think about this. If you were to enlist in the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, the Marines, or etc. Now, granted, most of us here are over the age limit, but go with me on this, right? If you were all of a sudden young again and you got to enlist, what would those branches of service expect you to do? Yes, there would be times that you would sit in chairs and receive verbal instructions of what was expected. That's kind of like it being in a church here. But most of the time, they expected you, as a soldier in the military, to do something. You had a job. They didn't just let you sit outside in the sun and let, be under a tree, did they? No one's shaking their head. Oh, someone's shaking their head up and down. Actually, that person might have snuck around the back, but that's okay. We won't go there. You see, that's why the early church grew so rapidly. Most of the church members did things. They took their faith seriously. Notice what Paul says. I am a soldier. Aim, as a soldier, I aim to please the one who enlisted me. Those words are in 2 Timothy 
2.4, he aimed to please the one who enlisted him. So who enlisted you in the church? That would be Jesus. And because his blood has been shed, you are here today. Our aim should be to please Jesus. And we must remember, this is not a game we're a part of. Does that make sense? This is not a game. This is a war. This is a battle for the lost souls and men of, and women that are outside these walls. And what can you do to make a difference? The church is a battleship and not a cruise ship. No one ever told you you were going to have a nice, fluffy time of flying around. There should be guns ablazing. I like firepower. I, I want you to notice something. I've never seen this, but they're shooting them both ways. Keeps the ship balanced. Just a bit of trivia. They got enemy all around them. You ever feel like that at work? Work. Someone once said, I would never want to reach out someday with a soft, uncalloused hand. A hand never dirtied by serving and shake the nail-pierced hand of Jesus. We need to take that seriously. Hear that again. I would never want to reach out someday with a soft, uncalloused hand. A hand never dirtied by service to shake the nail-pierced hand of Jesus. It's that serious. We need to take it seriously. We need to please Jesus, and he notices. In 2 Timothy chapter, five, or chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, Paul writes this, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have first share in the crops. Jesus notices when someone competes against Satan. And he notices us when, and he gives us a crown. What, the crown that Paul is talking about is the crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award you and me on the day when we meet him. Not only me, but all who've longed for his appearing. Then, when Jesus notices a hardworking farmer who produced a crop for the kingdom, is what will happen at that moment. That person gets a fair, first share. Or as Jesus put it, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. Those words of Jesus are found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. The main point is this. You and I have a part to play in defeating Satan. Someone once said, I wouldn't... that I wouldn't want to reach out with an, un, an uncalloused hand. That is so true. We've been called to tear down the gates of hell. 
and destroy the kingdom of Satan and to rescue lives from the pit of hell, the lost. Now, here's an actual picture of a newspaper. Men wanted for a hazardous duty, small wages, and thousands of men responded to this ad. It was signed by the noted, by the Arctic explorer Ernest Shackton. Think about this. Hazardous journey. This is they're out in the middle of the Antarctic. They are they weren't promised anything. Hear it again. Men wanted for a hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful. Honor and recognition in case of success. And thousands of men showed up because of who placed the ad. That man there and that ship frozen in the ice. See, that advertisement appeared in a London newspaper and thousands responded. What a time. Now, if Jesus had advertised for workers, the announcement might have read something like this. Men and, women men and women wanted for a difficult task of helping to build a church, or my church, you take your choice. You will often be misunderstood, even by those working with you. You will face constant attack and from an invisible enemy. You may not receive the results of your labor and your full reward will not come until after all work completed. And it may cost you your home, your ambitions, and even your life. You may not see your result. Think of all the people who don't see the results. The, we sponsor many missionaries. We're not over there in the field where they're drilling water wells. Number one thing needed in the world is fresh water. They drill water wells, then they build churches right next to it. Sim Reap is a town of, um, what, 280,000? That's not even right. There's no sewer system in Simreap, Cambodia. It's all outhouses. So your well, 12% of the water you get out of the water, out of the ground, is sewer water. So they have to run it through sand. So what we did is we started drilling water wells. And then we built a church. And we gave everybody in the town, the village, free water. There's this hand pump. The little old grandma sit up there for, they take turns, hours, just pumping water so people can get well, they don't have a water system. They don't, you know, they don't even have power to this town, Simreap. But there's a water well. And believe it or not, that when we, some of our global partner money helped plant that water well. Zimbabwe, there's a picture out there on the mission wall of a, a building for a hospital and it has a, an electrical generator. A bunch of our churches got together and we all gave a little money and they, they bought a generator. Now, they put it all in a shipping container, including all the wire to wire it in and, the, and enough diesel to run it for a while. And then they, you know, and they sent it over there locked up. 
Because if it hit Africa, it may not make it all the way to Zimbabwe, right? The hospital, it's all designed, the generator runs in the locked container so nobody steals it. That's the only place you have diesel fuel sitting next to a generator running because they have to lock up the fuel too. It all, but the hospital used to have to do surgery by flashlights when the power went out. And the power went out enough times. It didn't cost you anything. It wasn't tough. We put a little money in and we bought a generator. It wasn't just our church. Many churches joined together. Now we have a Super Bowl coming up. Everybody knows that's February 21st. And am I right? It's 11th. It's, it's whatever's in, in the bulletin. But I get the right date in there at least. Okay. Hey, I've had a tough week. I might be off a day or two. We, we collect change for the kids, and the kids will attack you for the change. No, 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 no. They, they come attack, and some people like artists are waiting for them, right? And Dave's waiting for them. But we feed a lot of people with that money. I don't know, is it 90 pounds last year of change? And paper bills. We'll take paper, too. And that only feeds people in Bismarck and Mandan. And our kids collect it. They get these cups. And they run out to you. And they put up that cup. And it, they're doing something for the kingdom. When I first became a minister, I thought I was crazy. My, my family thought I was crazy. But years before, I'd actually taken a test. I, I served on the board of Gillette um, New Life Wesleyan Church, and I served as a district auditor for the Wesleyan Church up here. And Isaac gave all the board members one of these tests. You all remember them, your spiritual gift tests, right? Remember that from like 20 years ago? Well, and more than that, isn't it? Almost 30 years ago. They were really popular. Some, If you didn't take one, you're blessed. I took one. I came out pastor. And I'm like, oh, this is wrong. So Isaac, like, well, let me see that. Well, you're a pastor at work. And I really was. I mean, my mission field was my work. I said, okay, well, let me go show it to my wife. Oh, no, I'm keeping this. He did, too. He did. And I'm here. 99, August 99. First week of August 99 came here. Never left. A little crazy. You guys took somebody who was terrible and you made them good. No, really. That's what you did. See, my first sermon was I can't, if you're a visitor, my first sermon was I can't for the church. It was a terrible sermon. But we work on the kingdom together. We are a family. We support each other. That is what Paul is telling us. We support each other. Your world can be falling apart, and we support you. And then you support somebody else. But if, I'm, I'm going to be honest, though. If you don't have a ministry, we got lots of ministries. I'll give you one that you think is crazy. The nursery room. Not running the nursery room, throwing away the broken toys. No, no, we have to throw away broken toys. The kids break them. It's better than the glass, tabletop glass they broke the other day. They come up to me and, it broke. Okay, we'll get another piece of glass. Uh, or the spill that happens from the coffee. You know, all that means is things are happening here. But the question is, do you have a ministry? 
is work your ministry. Number one ministry for people still in the job is your work, people you work with. Your sphere, your influences, is that your ministry? Prayer ministry is needed. Some of you think I'm a little crazy, so I need prayer lots of times. Yeah, no, I do. And there's a bunch of you who pray for me, and I appreciate it. If you don't have a ministry, this next week or two, I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee and let's talk about it. But work is the first ministry for many of you. And I guarantee you, your coworkers think you're crazy. Any of you have weird coworkers? Any of you have weird supervisors? No? Oh my goodness, let's close in prayer. I don't want anybody fibbing. Our Heavenly Father, we pray for the ministries of those sitting in the pews. Whether they realize it's their ministry or not. We pray for their friends, their neighbors, their co-workers. And we humbly ask, Father, that you guide them and direct them and empower them to be your light. You are such a blessing, Father. We can come to you at any time we need to. Especially in this dark, dark world right now, Father, we do love coming to you. Give us the heart of worship and give us the praise for you. Is our humble prayer. And all God's people said, Amen.